The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bet, Sports and Reacher's platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOFBets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off the first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus. And there's only a few days left to get 50% off everything in the SGPN merch store with the promo code PLAYOFFS. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It's currently Sunday night, January 28th. Number host, though, is Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one because it is time to preview a tournament. We have Montpierre, which is an ATP 250. So we're going to preview the outrights, who I think is going to win the event. Unfortunately, we have no quarter odds, so we are going to be skipping the quarters. I'll mention them in passing as we end up getting into my picks and the overall uh, prices for the outrights. I know most of you are focused a lot on football because we had a pretty crazy day, especially if you factor in the tennis with the Australian Open ending at about 8 in the morning, Eastern time, 7 a.m. Eastern. So pretty crazy day in sports. Now you have about two weeks off until the Super Bowl. So point is now it's time to start pivoting to more degen topics like ATP 250s, trying to find some value in the tennis markets. But before we get into any of the actual previews and actually the recap of the Australian Open, do want to actually talk about our picks in the lock and dog segment from the previous two episodes because we had the women's final and the men's final. And unfortunately we're not able to uh, recap the women's final since we had the men's one. Uh, re- we had the men's episode recording uh, right uh, before the actual women's final took place. So unfortunately for actual picks for the lock and dog uh, segments in the women's and men's not great for the women's ended up splitting. We had a uh, Zhang under five and a half double faults at minus 140 as the lock. Brutal beat, if you were following that, because Zhang had one double fault in the first set, and she had five in the second set. Five. So she finished with with uh, six. We got hooked on that one. Rough beat there. Didn't win the dog, though, as we had Sabalenka money line, and we also parlayed that with the under 19 nav games at plus 125. Sabalenka ki- uh, killed her, ended up winning 6-3, 6-2. That is a total of 17. So never in doubt there. Ended up splitting on that show. Unfortunately for the men's, we ended up losing both the lock and the dog, which is kind of annoying because we picked the right winner. We thought Sinner would end up winning, but we did think he'd win by more margin than he did as we had a minus one and a half sets, a minus 138 as the lock. Didn't get there as he dropped the first two sets before eventually taking over the match. But at that point, it was too late for us as the lock didn't get there. And for the dog, we had him winning. Kind of the same story. We had him winning, but unfortunately, we had him to actually get off to a good start. And that did not happen as he lost the first set. So the point is, picked up a loss for the lock and dog picks. Look to bounce back with some winners here in the episode right now. Uh, but a reminder for the actual format, if you are new, because I know that we are relatively new to YouTube with the live streams. We've been doing this podcast mostly on Spotify and Apple for about two years at this point. But the format for the actual outrights, we're going to preview the tournament. Then we'll actually get into my picks to win the event. Then we'll get into the actual match picks for the first round in the lock and dog segments. But before we get into any of that, I do want to actually recap what happened over the weekend, most notably in the Australian Open finals with the men's and the women's. We're going to start off with the women's as Sabalenka won her second consecutive Australian Open title as she was able to beat Zhang in straight sets 6 3 6 2. Uh, the takeaways are pretty simple Sabalenka's too good. The end. That's really all I have. Uh, she didn't drop a set the entire event. Zhang was up against it, and you can make an argument that once again, I mentioned in the women's final preview, 
Zhang had a gift of a draw. Everybody who was seated around her lost, and she didn't really play anybody. I believe the average ranking of everybody that she beat was 81, which is insanely uh, just high for, or, or insanely low in this case for a ranking. So the point is, Zhang was kind of gifted a Cinderella run, and Sabalenka was beating up everybody, including Goff in straight sets, and she did not drop a set in the entire tournament. So props Sabalenka for winning her second career Grand Slam title and her second career Aussie Open title. Don't really have much more to add there. Sabalenka was just so much better than everybody else in the venue that it didn't matter. So Sabalenka, that's my main recap. Sabalenka, really good. Anyway, moving on to the uh, men's recap. That's going to take a little bit longer because that match, unlike the Sabalenka uh, winning one, was absolutely chaotic. So if you were sleeping, I don't blame you. I was up, but the point is it was definitely early, especially if you're on the East Coast, starting at 3.30 a.m. Eastern time. Really a tale of two halves because Medvedev ended up leading two sets to nothing, and then he ended up losing the next three sets as Sinner came back from 2-0 down. Now, this does mean Sinner is officially a Grand Slam champion, the first of probably many in his career. So congrats to him for getting the job done. And we all knew him uh, for being a guy that kind of came up short in some big matches in the past, losing Djokovic in the Wimbledon semis, uh, losing that five-set marathon to Alcaraz about a year ago in the Australian Open. Uh, sorry, in the U.S. Open one or two years ago. The point is, Sinner has been on the short end of some big matches before, and he finally got over the hump against Djokovic as he was able to beat him in a Grand Slam in pretty convincing fashion in four sets in the semifinals of the Australian Open, and then he was able to parlay that into winning his first ever Grand Slam title. So congrats to him. Uh, once again, great resilience for a young guy as he was able to come back and deal with adversity as he was able to eventually outlast Medvedev. That's going to take us to the other side of the coin because Medvedev is now 1-5 and five in Grand Slam finals. The one win was against Djokovic in the U.S. Open several years ago, where Djokovic was somewhat injured. But either way, point is Medvedev is a Grand Slam champion, probably should have at least two or three by now. He had the two sets to nothing blown lead against Nadal in the Australian Open, and he also has this two nothing uh, lead that was blown against Sinner. So one in five, once again, not good. Of course, he's made it to six Grand Slam finals. You can look at it multiple ways. The point is, though, Medvedev has been known at this point in his career for being the bridesmaid instead of the bride where it just seems like he always loses in finals. That's kind of how it's looking uh, at this point in his career. Now, Medvedev did set history. It was dubious history, but he became the first player ever to blow two separate two-set leads in Grand Slam finals. Tennis has been around for a long time. That has never happened before. So Medvedev is the first person to choke away multiple 2 nothing leads in Grand Slam finals. Oof, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, not good, both in Australia. And I will point out, though, since I saw a lot of people comparing this to the Nadal one, and people are calling Medvedev an extreme choker because of this stat that I'm mentioning right now. To put it just directly, these two 2 nothing leads are massively different if you just compare the two. So first of all, the one against the Nadal was significantly worse. He was down, he was up 2 nothing, and he had triple break point at 3-2 to go up 4-2 and potentially dominate the remainder of the match. Didn't convert, then Nadal ended up winning... Medvedev had some chances, and some of the sets didn't really convert there. But the point is Nadal, of course, is an all-time great player, and Medvedev had him on the ropes and let him off the hooks. So I think that one is the worst one because he was relatively fit for that match. I know he had a long marathon match. I believe it was against Felix a round or two before that, but he was in pretty good shape physically. So I do think, once again, that loss is an all-timer in general, not just in his career. But you're looking at the actual loss to center. 
And there are some excuses there because of the fact that I mentioned in the last episode, he was on the court for 20-plus hours entering the final. Every single match besides the Felix one, he lost a set in minimum. So he was in a couple of five-setters, had five-set matches in the semis against Hercatch, a five-set uh, marathon, I'm uh, sorry, against Verev in the semis, Hercatch in the quarters. So Medvedev was playing a bunch of tennis. And simply put, I don't think the moment was too big for him. I don't think Medvedev shrunk mentally. I think his body betrayed him, just simply put. He played that many hours on the court, and Medvedev in the post-match presser did kind of address it talking about how he decided to be extra aggressive early on to try to conserve his legs. Eventually, Sinner settled in, and Medvedev didn't have anything left in the tank. And Medvedev, you could tell uh, with his movement patterns in the last couple of sets, he was absolutely gassed. He had nothing left, and Sinner was able to do enough to get the job done. Medvedev did have a break point in the fourth set, did not convert. But I'm going to give Medvedev not really a pass for blowing a 2 nothing lead, but I think it's a lot more understandable than, than the uh, Nadal one. Because he was on the court for so long, he would have set the all-time record for the most games ever played by a Grand Slam champion, the most hours on court ever by a Grand Slam champion. The point is that Medvedev had nothing left in the tank, and I do think, once again, it was not a mental issue. His body let him down. And Sinner, who only dropped one set in the entire tournament, which was against Djokovic, had a lot more juice in the legs, and he was able to eventually use that added energy and the fact that he's younger to his advantage as he was able to wear down Medvedev over the course of the final, I'd say, two hours, give or take. But once again, heartbreaker for Medvedev, great win for Sinner, but I'm not going to fully roast Medvedev for a choke job because I really don't know what else he was supposed to do. He played a bunch of sets of tennis in every round and eventually caught up to bite him, and I thought it would. Unfortunately, once again, Medvedev came out to a great start, and that's where we ended up losing our picks for the lock and dog segment. But we thought Sinner would win. We thought that the price was warranted. And Sinner has now won four straight head-to-head matches against Medvedev. So great job by him by kind of reversing that 0-6 start against Medvedev lifetime. But simply put, I do think you're looking at a spot where Medvedev is still obviously a great player. He's made it to six Grand Slam finals. He's not going anywhere. But when you play that many sets of tennis, I don't care who you are. It's going to come back to bite you, and it came back to bite Medvedev in that final. I am going to point out, though, that for the outrights for the actual Australian Open, we did give out Sinner at plus 650. So we actually did cash an outright for the Australian Open. We thought it would probably be Djokovic, but we threw in a couple of other guys just in case, and Sinner based on the current form, uh, whether it was the Davis Cup or just the fact that he ended up beating Djokovic in the ATP Finals before losing him in the final. I do think, once again, Sinner was in great form, and we parlayed that into him carrying that, in, uh, carrying that into Australia for a Grand Slam title, and that worked out. So plus 650, we did cash that even though the lock and dog picks didn't get there. But nothing really more to add. I kind of just mentioned my overall takeaways and not going to fully roast Medvedev. It's a heartbreaker, though, to become the first player ever to blow two separate 2 nothing leads in Grand Slam finals. But for his physical, I'd say, amount of just strain on his body, for playing that many sets and that many hours, it's understandable in my opinion. And I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass there. But congrats to Sinner for not folding and for getting the job done. So moving on to the actual purpose of this episode, we're going to talk about Mon Pierre. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in, and you can win up to 100 times your money with some spicy plays. So watch along, make your picks, maybe uh, make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website. 
on UnderdogFantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping the final of the Women's Australian Open and the Men's Australian Open. Now it's time to actually get into the purpose of the show, which is previewing the uh, 250 event taking place in Montpellier. So we're going to start off by going through the recent winners. Uh, Looking at the last couple of years, Sinner ended up beating Cressy last year. That's right, Cressy made a final, as crazy as that sounds. Cressy uh, really used the servant volley to its advantage, made a good run, but Sinner was too much, and Sinner beat him. Bublik beats Vera of the year prior. Gofen beat Batista Agut the year prior. Manfi beat Pospisil, and Sanga beat uh, Herbert. So the point is you have had a couple of Frenchmen uh, win this event in recent years, most notably of Manfi and Sanga. But looking at the overall trends in the last couple of years compared to now, as you can tell with Bublik winning and with Cressy making a final, it is a very fast hard court. It is one of the fastest hard courts of the entire calendar year. Very good serves go a long way in this event. And I do think that's going to be an important thing to mention when I get into my outright picks and my overall, I'd say, leans on who can be a Cinderella and who can make a deep run. The point is Cressy is not an objectively great tennis player as an American. He's fine. One of the only servant volley guys left, he double faults more than anybody else on tour. But the point is he was able to piece it together with the fast-paced courts here and basically never get broken. And he ended up beating Rune in a three-set marathon in the semis. So he ended up beating good competition. And Sinner eventually beat him as well, uh, beat him in the end. It was competitive. But the point is, Cressy was able to showcase just how dangerous a good serve can be in this particular tournament. And I think it's going to definitely be a factor that I have to mention. So the point is, the serve's going to be a big story. Bublik also has a big serve. So we'll see how he does in this uh, venture in Montpierre. And Sinner, of course, has an improved serve, which definitely was a big reason why he won in Australia and why he's made another leap in his career. So once again, the point is the last two winners have had good serves. Zverev has a pretty good first serve. So you can argue that the last four finalists have been a pretty, I say they have a good serve behind their, behind them. And that's going to once again be a part of the handicap I'm going to mention for this episode. But now it's time to actually get into the outright odds here. So we're going to start off by listing of all the odds, or at least the ones I think have a shot at winning. So Rune, once again, the odds are going to vary uh, in a second. Uh, but Rune going through the odds is plus 225. Bublik is around plus 500. Felix is plus 550. Manfi is 8-1. to one. George is 8-1. to one. Uh, Kaza, who had a very good run in the Australian Open, is at 12-1. to one. Murray, who is still playing barely at this stage in his career, is 14 to 1. Shevchenko is 18 to 1. Shapo is 20 to 1. Uh, Mueller is 22 to 1. Gaston is 28 to 1. Barreri is 28 to 1. Lestienne is 35 to 1. Gasquet is 40 to 1. Bonzi's 40 to 1. Caboli's 50 to 1, who had a pretty decent run in Australia as well. Uh, Martinez is 65 to 1. And I feel like I've mentioned too many guys at this point. So to go through the main favorites, I'm going to first talk about who I think is worthy of being the favorite. I think Rune should be the favorite. A couple reasons why. First of all, he made the semis last year, so I know that he can make a deep run. We know that he looked okay in the Australian Open, did lose to Kaza in four, uh, but overall he had a decent run in Brisbane, ran into God mode, uh, Dimitrov, but he looked very good in that event. So I do think that with Becker being his coach, it does seem like he's started to regain some of that form that he had uh, before his collapse in the second half of last year. But I do think with his path, it is a very, very favorable path. And to go through uh, the actual, uh, I'd say, 
path here for Rune. So he has a buy in the first round, then Gasquet or a qualify. There's actually qualifying going on uh, on Monday morning. So not all the spots are officially filled. I don't expect the qualifier to win this event. But the point is Gasquet is a pretty easy opponent. If you assume at this stage in his career, uh, he's going to be uh, winning that match against the qualifier. So Rune should beat him. Then a match against either Bonzi, uh, Momo, Moore in the next round, which I think Rune is a clear favorite for. And then you have Chorich, Munfi, and Kaboli. One of those is going to face off in the semis. The point is Rune inherited a god draw, a god mode draw, so I really have to uh, back Rune here because I do think you're looking at a spot where I just have to look at him being a massive favorite in all these matches. I know Gasquet has the massive crowd support because it's in France. I get that. If you watch Gasquet over the last couple of uh, matches he's been in, he's running on empty. Uh, shout out to Jackson Brown. But the point is, I do think you're looking at a spot where Gas Gasquet doesn't have much left in the tank. Monfi won a title last year, but his current form is not great. I'll mention that in a second. Bonzi hasn't been in great form either. I know he won ATP title last year, but there's a lot of weak competition for Rune, and I think he's easily the best player in his path. Once again, that's to reach the final. Like, that's a really, really easy draw. So I do think Rune is worthy of being the favorite based on that. Now, I do think looking at the other favorites, Bublik, I think, makes a lot of sense because he won a title here. He has the great serve. And I think Rune's serve is decent, too. But Bublik's serve is, is one of the best on tour. Yes, he double faults a ton. I'm not going to pretend that he doesn't. So does Cressy, but he made it to a final. Point is, Bublik was able to use the serve to win the title here. He got embarrassed by Nagal. Not Nadal, but Nagal in the first round of the Australian Open, which is kind of embarrassing, and I'm hoping that Bublik will show some pride here to trying to win his second title in Montpierre. So I do think Bublik has some value uh, with his current number. Felix, no chance in hell. I've mentioned it several times. Felix is one of my least favorite players to actually bet on on the entire tour because he had a great peak about two, three years ago. And he's been terrible ever since, so I'm not going to back him. And I think that he's kind of a donation anytime you consider uh, him making a relatively deep run. I know he had a pretty respectable run at the end of last year in one event, but for the most part, Felix has been a lost cause, an extreme disappointment. You can kind of pick a bunch of, I'd say, ways to describe his past couple of years, but none of them are good. Point is, I've, I'm going to pass on Felix. I don't trust him enough. And I do think that his matchup against Kaza, potentially in the second round, could be very, very interesting. So I'm not going to pick Felix. If you want to, be my guest. That will not be me. Now, Monfi is around 8-1. to one. I think that is very low. I know Monfi ended up winning this title a couple years ago. But Monfi is not the same guy. And he was able to end up winning a title last year as he beat uh, Kotov in a pretty thrilling comeback there in three sets at the end of last year. But he's lost a bunch of matches. If you go through Monfi's recent form, he's lost four of his last five. So I don't exactly trust his current form. I don't trust the stamina. He did face off against Echeverry in the Australian Open after beating Hoffman in straight sets. And Echeverry kind of killed him. I know Echeverry was in good form. But the point is Monfi, I don't think, is good enough to be at 8-1 to one at this stage in his career. So I really just don't think that that price is fair. I think Monfi should be closer to 12-1. to one. 13 to 1, give or take, but 8 to 1 is a bit wild. I'm not going to go with him. Chorich at 8 to 1 is interesting because he's kind of been an up and down wild card for most of his career. Of course, he had the phenomenal run in Cincinnati a couple years ago where he was about 100 to 1 to win the event and eventually beat Sitsipas in that final. But since then, he's kind of been up and down. We know that he gets injured a decent amount. He has a pretty decent draw 
uh, if you think he gets past Monfi or Kaboli. So you can make an argument that Chorich has an interesting draw. I think Rune would beat him. So I do think that I'm going to skip Chorich at 8-1. to one. I want a little bit more consistency for a guy at a cheap price with a somewhat difficult draw because he would be a dog in basically the quarterfinals. So I don't really like that idea for that price. I'm going to pass on Chorich at 8-1. to one. Uh, By the way, I see some people in the chat. So if you have any questions for me about the actual tournament or about on really anything, you can just ask in the, in the comment section. But the point is, a shout-out to everyone who's tuned in uh, to Cap. Congrats to you on winning your Sinner and Sabalenka futures. Jung, a shout-out to you. Sorry this is not women's tennis, but it's going to have to do. Uh, Nick, a uh, shout-out to you, too. Uh, hope the college basketball is going well. And Serial uh, said he's a big fan, listening to the show for over a year. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. And hopefully you've made some money with me over the past year and change. Uh, but to get into uh, some of the other guys I'm going to mention, I can keep going down the line by player. I think I'm going to skip around. No chance in hell I'm taking Murray at 14 to 1. I've said this time and time again for the last year, but if you are new to the show, I despise Andy Murray. I can't stand him. He's one of my least favorite players of all time. Now, I recognize in his prime, he was very, very good. You can argue that he was the OG Medvedev because he won a couple of Grand Slams in his case, but he would lose all the time to the great competition in three out of five sets. The Djokovic in Australia, it felt like he lost to Djokovic every time, either in the semis or in the final. But the point is, Murray, I was never a fan of, but I recognize how talented he used to be, and I recognize how good he used to be. That is not that guy. Prime Andy Murray is not walking through that door. Murray is on the last couple stages of his career. He's managed to, to uh, hang around despite the hip replacement from a couple years ago, and he's had a couple of great moments. But he really has not come close to winning a title since then. He made the final, I think it was last year, and Nevenev killed him in a final. I think it was in Doha, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is, Murray, I just don't trust enough. And if you watched him against Echeverry in, the, in that Australian Open match... He looked absolutely cooked. Now, you can make an argument that Murray is a never-say-die kind of guy. He's going to go down swinging. But I can't back him after what I saw in that Echeverry match. He could not move, just simply put. Echeverry was in good form, but he killed Murray. So I can't take Murray at this point. I think he's going to retire shortly. I don't know how much longer he has left. If he retired at Wimbledon, would not shock me. Just going to throw that out there. But I think that Murray is too cheap based on reputation. I don't trust his stamina. I don't trust his consistency. And after what he showed in Australia, there's no way I want to back him in the spot. And at least for some other guys I'm going to mention in a second, there's some injuries that you can use it as an excuse. Murray was completely fine and then got destroyed in the first round. So I don't want anything to do with him. I think that price is definitely off. Now, moving on to, I think I'm just going to get into my picks here uh, because the two long shots that I actually like are going to be mentioned in that section. So to go through in order, uh, I have four names that I prepared that, that are going to be my official outright picks for this tournament. Starting off with the favorites, I alluded to it before. I did shop around. I found Rune at plus 250. I mentioned some of the reasons before, but his path, once again, is very solid. Has a buy, Gasquet or a qualifier, Bonzi, Mamo, or Moore. Once again, should be a massive favorite in that match. Then George Munfi or Caboli in the final should be a pretty decent favorite there, too. I know Rune can be a head case at times. He was pretty good in Brisbane before losing to Dimitrov. And he had an okay run in Australia. Not great, but Kazo was in great form. He should have probably won that match anyway based on the pre-match odds. But the draw is so favorable, I have to take him at plus 250. Plus, he also made the semis last year. So there's kind of an unfinished business mentality there. And I do think that Rune has the game to translate well into this environment. So give me Rune as my first pick at plus 250. Moving on. 
to the next pick. I do have Bublik at six to one. I said five to one before, but I found a six, so I'm going to use that instead. He won the tournament in, in uh, 2022, so I do know that his game translates well to the courts here. His serve is incredible. He has the best serve in the entire field by far. Uh, one of the best serves in the entire ATP. Her catch is better, but Opelka's still injured. Isner retired. Cressy's still injured. The point is, there's really not many elite serves left on tour. Medvedev has a pretty good serve as well. Sinner's up there now. He's definitely improved that area. But in this field, Bublik easily has the best serve. And I do think, once again, based on the past couple of winners, that's a big piece of my handicap. Give me Bublik at plus 600. Yes, I know he's a psychopath, and I know that he can punt any match at any time. But I do think he's in a good spot. His draw is pretty favorable as well. Has a buy then probably Shapo, who's been a mess for the last couple of months. So we'll see if he ends up getting by Gaston or not, but the point is Bublik should be a big favorite. Shevchenko can be interesting, but Bublik is the better player, so we'll see what happens. And then he would face off against either Felix or Murray. I'll take my chances. Felix is a head case. Murray's well past his prime, and I think that Bublik has a pretty good draw for a guy who's won the title before to win it again. And maybe he has a chip on his shoulder. I know that Bublik is, once again, a guy who's not afraid of being an entertainer more than a player. And he might punt some matches he should win, which we saw a couple of weeks ago against Musetti, where he should have won that match. And he did uh, barely, but he made it very, very interesting. And he probably should have won that match more easily. He went to the stands. He grabbed some potato chips from a fan. You know what I'm talking about. And he had the underhand serve game. You know what I'm talking about. But the point is Bublik can be a head case, but I am hoping after embarrassing himself in, in the Australian Open, maybe he'll be focused for this tournament that he's won before. So give me Bublik at plus 600. Moving on to my next guy. is actually a guy that's on pace to face Bublik in a future round. Shevchenko at 20-1. Simply put, I like his game a lot. I saw him beat Echeverry in three sets a couple weeks ago. The problem was he got injured in the backstage of that match, which caused him to lose in the following match in Adelaide. And then he ended up getting killed by Munar in the first round of the US of the Australian Open, which is embarrassing. But that's a really, really bad loss. It was not even close. However, I do think he was still injured, dealing with some of the ailments from that match that he had against Echeverry. And we know how good Echeverry played in the Australian Open. The point is when Shevchenko's on, I know he has the game at 20 to 1 to make a very interesting run in the spot. It's actually kind of ironic because he's doubles partners with Bublik. So we'll see if the Kazakhs end up clashing at some point in this event. But you're looking at a spot where I think Shevchenko, simply put, is a really, really underrated player. And we saw how good he was at the end of last year. He ended up beating Fritz. He had a couple of really good wins, and I do think you're looking at a guy who's really flying under the radar at 20-1. to 1. And yes, it might be a bit hypocritical because I'm fading Murray after getting killed in the first round, but I'm backing Shevchenko after getting killed in the first round against a worse opponent. I get it, but I do think injuries played a serious factor in that, and I do think that Shevchenko has not, he's not played since the 13th, so I do think he's in line for a pretty good showing here if he is healthy. 20-1, to though, is a very good price, and I do think I'm going to take that because of it. He also made a final last year, did lose to Umber in Mets, so he also took Rune to three sets in Brisbane. So before the injury, which is why the Munar loss is so out of place, he had to have been injured. I refuse to believe you beat Echeverry on hard court and you took Rune to three and you lost in straight sets to Munar and you were not injured. I just refuse to believe that. I think he had to have been dealing with something. Hopefully with the time off, once again, not playing since the 13th. He's at about two weeks off, two plus weeks off. He better be healthy. I'll take Shevchenko 
at plus 2,000 in a pretty good buy low spot and a pretty good draw, uh, similar to the draw I mentioned for Bublik. A qualifier, Bereri, Bublik, which once again can be interesting, but Bublik we know is a bit of a clown and he could drop any match at any moment. And then Murray or Felix, but Shevchenko's good, simply put. And the fact that he actually made a final in France last year in November where he lost to Umber, he did play in France before. So he has faced off against some uh, home crowd disadvantages in this case, in this exact country, which I think might help him in the spot. But my last pick is going to be the serious long shot of the event, which I don't know if he's got an actual shot to win it because his first round match is very difficult, but I do like the price. Kazo we saw as a pretty good Cinderella story in the Australian Open is now at 12 to 1 for this event. Another guy who made a pretty good run, who ended up getting killed by Dimenauer, was Caboli, who's plus 5,000. That's good enough for me. That price is, I feel like, really, really off uh, compared to the rest of the players in his, I'd say, price range. 50 to 1, he's behind Gasquet, he's behind Bonzi, he's behind Les TN, which is a joke. He's behind Gaston. He's behind Barreri. The prices just seem off to me. Now, part of that is because he's supposed to face off against Monfi in the first round, which is not ideal because Monfi has won a title here. Yes, Monfi is not the same guy that he used to be. So I think Caboli can maybe pull off the upset. But Caboli made the third round. He beat Jari, who was ranked in five sets. Looked very good in that match. And he beat Kotov. And I think that, once again, uh, you're looking at a guy who has a pretty underrated serve that can translate well to the courts here in Montpierre. But he's a very young, a very talented Italian player, and I do like what I saw in his form in the U- in the Australian Open because he also went through qualifying. So he didn't drop an entire set in qualifying. He ended up winning two rounds in the main draw. I like his game, and I think, once again, chopping around, you could find some books having him at plus 3,600. I can get plus 5,000. So just by shopping around, I'm getting an extra 14 bucks, which I have to take. So I do think Caboli at 50-1 to 1, it's a fun long shot. Is it going to cash? Probably not. But at 50 to 1 compared to the other players in the price range, the Bonzies and the Gasquets of the world, I think it's a bargain. So I'm going to take Kabuli at plus 5,000. So once again, my picks for the outrights in Montpierre. Apologies that I have no quarter odds. I usually break it down by quarter. Don't have that available, but you can infer who I'm thinking of based on my picks for the actual outrights. I have Rune. At plus 250, I have Bublik at 6-1, to one. I have Shevchenko at 20-1, to one, and I also have Kaboli at 50-1. to one. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the actual outrights for Montpierre. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks for some matches. But before we get into any of that, do you want to take a quick word from our sponsors? Brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and available in 40 states. Peer-to-peer social betting is the new and better way to bet. Bet uh, bet directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with fair valuable outcomes, plus a ton of social features that give it the feel of a betting social network. Cut also offers lower VIG and fully customizable odds. You can create your own bets. Cut handles the payment side of things. You never have to worry about chasing down your money. Social features include group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head history, user pro profiles, fan groups, and more. And they have good rewards. Get cash back every single time you bet against your friends or other users. Remember that Cut is the peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter this interval season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports Analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL 
NBA and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOFBets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. 15% off everything in the store from now until the end of the month. Promo code PLAYOFFS. We're also competing with other shows with the SGPN Network. So once again, if you do end up enjoying the tennis podcast and you do want to support the show we did add merch uh, over the past month so once again check out the merch store if you want to buy a t-shirt a mug a hoodie you get the point anything tennis gambling podcast is available on the sgpn merch store my favorite personally is the t-shirt big fan of different colors they have the green on green with the current logo we also have black and white if you do want to take that but it's very comfortable, and I do think, once again, you should get yourself a piece of merchandise if you do want to support the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outright picks for Montpierre. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks for some matches. We'll disclose, though, we are missing a couple of options because there are still qualifier matches going on. So because of that, a lot of the guys that I actually didn't like for the outrights are either on by or they don't have an opponent yet. So we had to get creative, a little bit of a limited amount of options for the first round, but we did come up with some plays. So starting off with the actual lock for the show, I am going to go with one of the outrights that I did pick to win the whole thing. He is a dog in this match, but I do like the games here. It's going to be dangerous. I'm going to fade a home country guy. I am going to take a bully plus the three and a half games at minus 105. Simply put, Monfi's really not in great form, and he's lost four of his last five. So the fact that he's laying three and a half here, I just think is a little bit steep. Caboli's in very good form, as we ended up seeing in the Australian Open. He got through qualifying, and he won two rounds in the main draw on hard court. He's won five of his last six matches. He's got a lot of talent. He's not going to be intimidated, because we saw him have a pretty decent showing in the next-gen final at the end of last year. Beat a ranked player in Jari, was able to beat Kotov in four. Point is, he's a good player. Just simply put, I think that Kaboli is a bit underrated. And I think I think that Monfi might be a bit overrated because he's got the home country advantage and the fact that he won a title here a couple years ago. But Monfi's just not the same guy that he used to be. And I think that three and a half games is massive. I mean, if you want to look at Monfi's a recent performance. I said before that he has lost a couple of matches uh, in a row, or I should say he's lost a decent amount of matches over the last couple of months. But really, ever since he won that obscure title against Kota final, he's kind of been a mess. And Monfils already kind of started to make the transition to being a, a post-tennis dad at this point. Uh, we know that his wife is playing, Svitolina, she's been good. Uh, but you're looking at Monfils' recent results. He lost at Javari in straight sets, beat Hoffman in three sets, good performance there, played Morozin in Auckland, lost in three, played Sarundolo in Paris, so in his own home country, lost in the first round, that was last year, lost in three sets, and he also played against Tiafo in three sets in Vienna last year, and he lost. So, so far in 2024, he's played three matches, and he's one and two. So, I think when you're looking at the overall form here, Monfi's a little bit overvalued in this spot, and I do think that Kaboli can keep this match interesting. Monfi's serve, which used to be a pretty good weapon for him, is really just not there anymore. I feel like the the lift uh, with his legs and all the injuries he's had isn't there, so it seems like his second serve, especially, is more of just a rally starter, and Kaboli has, has uh, got a lot of firepower, got a lot of energy to him, and he's younger. 
So if this match does go along, I have more faith in Kaboli's energy to maintain the same uh, amount. Of, I'd say I, I just have more faith in Kaboli uh, is just overall youth and his ability to potentially out-hit Munfi. Because Munfi, once again, is just not the same guy that he used to be. So give me Kaboli, plus the three and a half games here. I think Munfi should be a favorite, but this is too big. I think he should be closer to, in my opinion, maybe two and a half games, give or take. But three and a half and minus 105 is a very good deal. I'm going to take that as my lock. For my dog, I'm going to go to a matchup between two Spaniards that are clay specialists. What can possibly go wrong? We're going to take the over two and a half sets in the Martinez and Munar match at plus 130. This is solely based on a head-to-head play. Now, both these guys are known for being challenger clay players, basically. Munar's been on the ATP tour, did win a round in the Australian Open as he beat Shevchenko in straight sets. Mentioned before, Shevchenko was definitely injured, and Munar got basically a bye into the second round. But both guys are clay specialists, and the reason why I am going to take this over on hard court is because of the head-to-head. Each of the last three head-to-head meetings have gone to three sets, and each of the two career hardcourt meetings ended up going to three sets. And you might be thinking, well, how long ago was that? That could have been a while ago. Actually not. All those matches were within the last two years. So every time these two get together, it's an absolute war. I think these guys are going to kill each other in there. I'm going to warn you right now, you might want to potentially watch the match on mute because the grunting might be unbearable for you. But I have to at least point out that these two players, when they get together and they clash, Martinez is randomly 5-1 and one also lifetime, which I find kind of interesting. But the point is, you have seen the last match in Brest last year in the middle of, I believe it was October. That went to three sets on hard court, faced off in Tokyo in 2022. That also went to three sets on hard court. The point is, with the amount of head-to-head history and just the general theme of marathon matches between these two players. Plus 130 is a great price for two guys with pretty similar skill sets on hard court. So give me history to repeat itself and give me the plus 130 as my dog. So once again, by locking our picks of the show, the lock is going to be on Kaboli, plus three and a half games against Monfi at minus 105. And my dog will be on Martinez and Munar over two and a half sets at plus 130. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, unlike the Grand Slams and the Masters 1000 events. We will not be back until the quarterfinals. So back later on in the week, couple days in between. Until then, though, find me on a bunch of pockets of the network. Find me on the NBA show, the NFL show, and you get the point. Until then, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.